A quick warning, this interview contains discussion of sexual violence that listeners may find upsetting. She told family, she told teachers. Then Tanya Culver Humphrey sat down with Mercy Corps leaders 26 years ago and told them that Ellsworth Culver, her father and the co-founder of the world-renowned humanitarian organization had sexually abused her for years. Nothing happened until this month. I'm Andrew Thien. This is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Tanya about the past few weeks since the Oregonian's 10-month investigation exposed Mercy Corps' failures to the world. After Tanya's story was published, Mercy Corps' CEO resigned. So did a longtime board member and one of the relief agency's top attorneys. I want them to live up to their mission not just in other places, but here, completely, humbly, and transparently. And this month, Tanya visited the nonprofit's headquarters, where employees had written her thank you messages in chalk on the sidewalk. Dozens of Mercy Corps employees walked outside to greet her, to say they believed her, and that they heard her. We talked about that scene and much more. The last two weeks have been like, it, it feels like I can't even keep track of the day. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> it's, been, it's been something I never could imagine in all of its ways. I mean, positive, good, exciting, overwhelming, I've had moments of breaking down and crying. It's been, it's been, I always feel like I don't know how to say things very well. I get this moment right now where I'm like, how do I even try to describe this? Like, because there's so many parts to it. Like, I want to say the support has been overwhelming and I never, ever imagined people, I, I, I was just so afraid people were going to be mad at me. Everyone was going to be mad at me. Like, I knew some people would support me, but I was like, I'm like, I'm going to have a river of, of people supporting me, maybe, and then, like, a river of hate, and I'm going to have to, like, help have people help me not get, like, sucked down and drowned in the river of hate. That's what I was afraid of. And the support is, like, amazing, and I don't, and I'm, I'm still not really able to, process that <laughs> like <laughs> how has that support played out I mean obviously there was this pretty remarkable scene of where you went down to the headquarters how else have you felt that support I have felt support from people all around the world sending me messages and telling me telling me their stories the fact that they feel safe and um, comfortable to share with me their stories of their pain it feels heavy, but it, it, it feels like support too because they're trying to reach out to me to tell me that they believe me and they stand with me and at the same time they're telling me their pain. I think that's probably been the best way to characterize what's been going on actually is I'm getting people who are believing me but at the same time along with it is this massive wave of pain other people's pain other people's pain and grief over 
either their own personal experiences or their disillusionment and their devastation with what Mercy Corps has done because either they're donors or they used to work there or they work there now. And um, it's been a huge well of I don't know what the word is to, I don't know how to describe it. A huge well of grief that's mixed with support, that's mixed with love, that's mixed with pain, that's mixed with like anger and, um, and hope. Hope that like people have that they didn't have before that maybe, you know, that, that maybe good things can come. Like they could share something for the first time that they never shared with anybody before. And that feels like support to me and it also feels like it feels heavy but I'm grateful for it I'm like totally grateful for it regardless of how completely complex it is it's like it's just like this mass I'm using arm gestures and yeah nobody yeah. can see me this <laughs> massive thing that feels like it's like wow it's so complex what was your thought process uh that led you to walk down to Mercy Corps earlier this month well, I uh, saw the pictures of the chalk. And honestly, I, I'm gonna cry. I, um, up to that point, had not even really been able to like go by the building. I couldn't, I, I remember the day once, a few years ago when I got brave enough to go up and touch the door. I was so, it was so triggered by that building and by everything about it that I couldn't even be near it. And I didn't feel like I could go there. I wasn't, I wasn't welcome there, but I, I was also terrified of it, like totally terrified of it. And um, I went there at night, like before the story broke, I went there at night and I stood by the wall that says, stand up, speak out, something like that. And I stood by it and, but I had to do it at night, like when nobody was there. And then I saw that chalk and I, and I was like, I, could, I just couldn't like, I couldn't really wrap my brain around the fact that anybody from Mercy Corps <laughs> was not just mad, you know, that people would be, that employees, and I make a clear distinction in my mind and not because I don't think executives care, I'm sure there are many who do, but the employees didn't have anything to do with that. And that they would stand up and make this demand justice and demand accountability and then go out there and I'm an artist so somebody going out there and writing in big letters you know Tanya and my name like my name like that was huge too that my name was there like I don't I know that's uh, my name Tanya we stand with you we support you in these huge letters in there was I just had to see it I didn't believe it was real it spoke your language because it was in art do you think yeah and it was big for people to see. Like, you could see the building and you could see that at the same time. You couldn't see either one. I mean, it was like right there. So I, I so my process, uh, my thought process, you asked me what was my thought process. I mean, I just wanted to go down there and touch it. Like, I'm, like, I'm a very tangible person. I have to like see things and feel them and go there. And it just my heart just wanted to see that it was real. I mean, is that something that you welcomed or was that overwhelming or both? That was both. Uh, 
I had no idea that that would happen like that at all. Um, I was touched that employees wanted to come and see me and I said okay as long as no executives came out because I wanted to know who it was that was coming and when they started coming out and then they just kept coming and then they kept coming I was like what I mean it was really overwhelming in a good way and in a challenging way too and and I've thought about it so many times because I don't know if people really understand what that was like because it was this shared moment of so much pain. It, it looks like, I mean, they were standing there to support me and telling me they stand with me. But when I stood there and looked around at them and I kept looking around, I kept like turning my head and looking around. I had to turn my head like to see people. I had to like turn my head, you know. Um, like, they're supporting me, but their faces were just, they were crying and, you know, this need I felt this need and I wanted to I wanted to be there like I felt like I wanted to be there for them just like I think they wanted to be there for me but um you know two hours almost of of hugging people uh who were shaking and angry and sad and telling me that I was inspiring them and that they wanted to fight but telling me their so many personal stories and um, I felt honored to be able to be there with them and I felt like I could give them something back too like I, I it's it's complex for me because I know they came out to want to support me but I know that it was a mutual thing what do you think you gave them what do I think I gave them I know that people have told me that I saved them. And that feels like good. And and complex inside at the same time. Like it's really hard for me to go from being so afraid of this place to settling in with myself knowing that that's who I'm I'm happy with I'm happy with being there for those people and they needed hope and they needed to know that what they did matter it mattered to me that it matters in general and because it does like it really does and their pain with what they felt they were a part of like they felt they were part of it and I could see the guilt on their faces that was not their guilt and I wanted them to be relieved of that guilt. I didn't want them to carry that guilt because <clears throat> it wasn't theirs. As individual these people, had, these employees. They weren't there. They know? weren't there. They, they, didn't, they weren't in charge of these decisions. It's not, they didn't have to feel guilt or shame. You know, they could feel anger. They could feel pain and we could share the pain together. You know, it was like grieving together because, I mean, obviously I feel a ton of pain. But... Um, I felt like they needed to know that it mattered and I'm you know so they could keep going that their work mattered that them standing up and saying that they believed me and that they stood by me and that that they were not okay with what happened and that they were going to fight for it they needed me to know that and believe that and I needed to know that and believe that they also needed me to know that because they were really 
really hurting and feeling guilty and upset and and I'm glad that that they had that and I hope I really hope that that doesn't that that gives them more fire underneath them like like more hope not like and I don't think it will but I think you know not like you know as people we want to kind of like let things it's so hard it's so heavy things are so difficult you want to like wrap it up and make it tidy and it's not and um I'm still receiving messages from Mercy Corps employees that want to keep making change and and I just hope that it it, it just inspires them to keep keep going and that other people and other organizations will see that look what they did there was this one young woman who really I mean many people touched me like many people touched me that I will not forget like I can't I can't I can't not even see their faces like I close my eyes right now and I can see their faces but this one woman she was like just out of college and she was so nervous to come up to me and her hands were shaking and she just said I didn't I didn't know any of this could ever happen you know, I didn't know this could happen. And and I told her, but yeah, but look at what you're all doing. Just keep doing that. And so that would be great if other people could see that and other organizations could see that and people could say, hey, my voice matters. Actually, I'm not going to be a bystander like all those other people who are bystanders. My voice matters. I can say something and then somebody else. You know, your voice matters all on your own. Like, I'm really small and all of a sudden my voice matters just because I'm speaking. And, it, but great, like, how amazing can it be when you speak and then, like, other people join you? And they got joined by all these people around the world from Mercy Corps employees who stood up and said, this, we won't stand for this. Like, that's amazing. And I think people need to know they have that kind of power. We talked a little bit about art earlier. I'm wondering when, if you can trace back to, to when art first became a part of your life and how that has helped you, at, if it has helped you cope with the incredible trauma that you've experienced in your life. Oh, yeah, it's totally helped me cope. <laughs> it's totally been something that I could use to speak when I didn't have any words, when I felt like my mouth was covered and I was closed and I couldn't share anything, I could do things in art that were showing things that people who had the eyes to see could see, you know, or that I could just express and get out of myself, you know. I, I'm trying to remember when did I first use art, probably, I mean, I can't really remember a time I didn't, but I remember being, I remember being in fourth grade, and this is, I remember hiding outside, and this is not really, I mean, it is using art. I remember hiding outside, beside the house, crushing up rocks of different colors and drawing with them, but I was hiding. Hiding from your father? Yeah, I was hiding. But I was using, I made paint. I made powdered paint. And then I drew on this big rock I was sitting on. And it just like made me get lost in this other space, you know? Um, and that's not like painting a painting like the other paintings I did, but it was still doing something that was artistic, that was like getting out of myself. I remember using drawing in the sheets 
using the sheets and moving them around and making shapes and drawing in them and that like soothed me to make shapes and to, to see something beautiful in that. While, while you were being molested? Yeah. And uh, later on when I was in high school, um, when people weren't really listening, I, I made myself posters and I made um, other paintings and sometimes they were really graphic and really awful things that I just had to get out of my head. A lot of the time though it was reinforcing to myself that there was light in darkness. I think the thing that I like to paint and draw the most is light in the middle of darkness. When I'm doing it, I'm lost in doing it. I put on music and I'm just like in the moment of what that painting means to me. And it's like this total, it's like, it's like if I was going to take an antidepressant drug or, or like, a, like, like anti-anxiety, I'm thinking like, it's like a Xanax. It's like a Xanax. Like I'm like, I'm like, have the, my music on and I'm painting this thing. And it's like soothing every part of me. Doing the art feels good and getting it out and what it looks like feels like I'm saying something for people to hopefully understand at a level that might not be words because I didn't think I could say words. One thing that when I read your story so vividly told by my colleagues through video, through words, through photos, I just think to myself, how did this woman survive? How did you survive? Where did you find your strength? The first thing that comes into my head is, well, God came into my head, and I don't know how to qualify that, to be honest with you. But that meant something to me in a way where I wasn't alone. Um, completely. <laughs> I remember reaching my arms up and uh, asking God to put skin on to hug me. <laughs> But yet I had this belief that there was something there listening to me. And I think that really, that mattered to me. But then the thing that comes into my mind the most is like right now as I talk to you, because I'm very visual, mm -hmm. you ask me the question and what do I see is I see flowers. <laughs> I see the light coming through leaves when I'm on a walk. I listen to the rain. Uh, I look at my kids playing. Um, I think I, I wrote a poem once when I was at Lewis and Clark. I wrote a poem about looking at this, this little yellow, I think it was dandelion flower, and how it looked like the sun was lighting it on fire, and called it a moment of awakening, like. That that was all that mattered in that moment was the the beauty of that. It was like all-encompassing, and I could just live there. And I think I just tried to live there. And when I was little, I used to stare at it. I used to go outside, like I said, with the paint, but I would go to the grass, and I would look at it, and I would pretend to be small, like I was a little tiny person. 
and that that was the whole world and what would it would be like and like how would I make a fort out of the lake you know but like like I completely tried to put my mind in that you know and um I my mind went to all those other places and I think that that's how I I I think there were a few stars in the dark of people who came along the way and validated that I was a, a real person that got to have real feelings and just kept me going you know even a card from like a teacher I would hold it and I would read it and I would let it matter all the little little things yeah all the little things they're like everything you mentioned your kids um how have you explained or talked about the last two weeks and the story and and everything before that too with your they're teenagers right um yeah how 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 uh how have you broached all of this because it's it's a lot uh, <clears throat> well carefully <laughs> and probably not as good as i should <laughs> as best as I could. Um, you know, I'm trying to be careful to think about what they would want me to say. My son's older and I've told him over the years little bits that seemed age appropriate. I didn't want him to think that, I mean, he thought before that, you know, what he thought about his grandpa. I wanted him, I didn't want him, I didn't want to suddenly crash, you know, have this fake truth be here and then this you know horrible thing um so I kind of slowly tried to let him know but that was really hard because he couldn't really because I couldn't really tell he couldn't really talk and so, so you know that because of all the other stuff and the fear of it getting out so that was really difficult but I think especially I could say in this past 10 months and then especially the past two weeks he knew what was going on because he's older it was very difficult to talk to him. I just don't want my kids to have to go through having this in their life, but it's really not their fault or mine. And I tell myself, you know, he wouldn't be alive if he didn't get born like to me. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is life. This is life. I have to kind of comfort myself that way. And my daughter, it's really hard. I want her to be okay, and I, I gotta just trust that they will be and that they are. And I tell myself they didn't live my experience just because they know about it. They have parents who love them. They have support. They have knowing about it is hard, but they can, they can get through that. It'll be okay. You know, I want them to be proud of me, and I want them to know that they matter, like I mattered and like I matter. And I want them to speak out for truth too, but. Um, it was hard. I mean, Beth Nakamura came over and talked to both of them. And I'm really going to be forever grateful for that because it was just above and beyond what I ever thought. I mean, you guys at the Oregonian have been absolutely diligent and amazing and so consistently thoughtful and on with everything and that you would want to go to them to explain the story out like you go to other people take them like they're 
who they are, their people. That was really, it's just, Lily was so much lighter that afternoon. She was so much lighter. And Noah was still upset. That's okay. <laughs> he needed, it was helpful. It was very helpful to hear. It was very helpful. And, and um, truth is hard to, for all of us, it's been hard, hard for many people around the world. It's been hard for all kinds of people. It's hard for my family. It's, it's hard for my kids. Um, but they're doing okay. And I've, I've just tried to give it to them in bites and tried to tried to do the best I can, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. There's, no, <laughs> there's no playbook. I don't, there really isn't. <laughs> what, that being said, I mean, wh- what, what advice would you have to some of these people who have reached out to you and shared, shared their trauma and, and people who are going through unspeakable situations now? Like, how, how would you help them cope? Um, what advice can you give? Or how do they get the strength to do what you've done? First, I would say they don't ever have to do what I've done. They get to do whatever they choose. This feels like the most important question you've asked me. <laughs> like, uh, I would say you matter just as much as I matter. If you see that in the story that I mattered and that what happened to me mattered, I would want them to know what happened to them mattered and they mattered just as much. And it doesn't, whether their story is out there or not, they mattered just as much. And that it's worth it to keep living, but that their choice, it's their choice what they do with with it. They don't, they get to, to heal however they need to and they have the right to heal. And, and I believe them and there are people who will, they have no shame. I really want to add the shame part because shame is huge. It's huge. And I can feel it in the letters that people are sending me no shame it does not matter what happened to you doesn't matter what you had to do no shame this if they can hold on to no shame and you matter and you get to choose you didn't get to choose before but now you get to choose was there you know we've been in this national reckoning for the last couple years with the me too era and whatnot which is different it's a different set of traumas but and you are, you know, decades earlier had gone through this process, which a lot, of, which is in many ways how you should have done this. You, you sat down with these powerful men and told them your story and they didn't believe you or they didn't do anything about it. But now we're in this moment 20 or close to 30 years later where people were being believed or being heard for the first time nationally. Was that, um, did that play any part in your decision to come back to or to walk into the Oregonian or to go back to Mercy Corps in 2018 was that did that play any role the role that it played for me was it gave me more hope and it encouraged me and made it a whole lot less scary it was still absolutely terrifying <laughs> like terrifying but it gave me things to hold on to my mind that 
that I wasn't as alone as I felt. That there were other people out there who were standing up and speaking out, being believed, and that it was like I wasn't standing just alone. I would have probably done it anyway because I've been trying to forever. <laughs> it didn't play a role in me. I didn't say, okay, now I can, because of that, I can do that. But it absolutely has encouraged me. And it absolutely gave me a lot more, you know, it, it bolstered me and gave me courage when I was feeling scared and um, made me think that maybe people won't all completely hate me. Maybe the Oregonian, maybe people will listen again like like so it, it gave me a lot of hope and uh yeah made walking in the doors a little less scary what do you want mercy corps to do or what would what would you like to have happen a lot has happened since your story launched but what what else what else do you want to see uh, this agency that has such a global reach do in my wildest dreams, I would like them to truly take accountability for not just what happened in 2018, but for what happened in the 90s and my dad as an agent of them and all the people involved truly acknowledge the actual seriousness of what happened and the pain and their responsibility that's hard if they want to be leaders I'd like them to lead that way and then do what they need to do to take responsibility for that to be hold accountable to, to, to I, I want them to to not forget about that but to, to really take it as seriously as it is and do everything they can do to show that they mean that I want them to live up to their mission not just in other places, but here, completely, like humbly and transparently. And then lead, because I don't think it has to be over for them. I mean, it's really scary to admit when you're really, 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 really have done something bad. But then to, to do that and then step up and try to do the right thing, I think that would be an amazing thing to show people that that can happen and um, maybe it'll change other organizations maybe they'll do that I don't know what's next for you um, <laughs> lunch <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, I'm sorry that's just a silly answer to that question um, <laughs> I I haven't even been able to think about like what I'm doing today. <laughs> I'm, um, I always think about, I think about, and I've told myself this over and over, and this is, you ask how do I cope? This is how I cope. I think, I always think, is something, can something good happen here? Like, I, that's how I have to keep my focus on that. But I think I have this giant mound of rotting crap and stinking garbage that is throwaway yuck and that's if you kind of think of the compost metaphor that's like yucky and gross and it's <laughs> nobody wants that 
But if you put it all there together and then you air it into the light and you turn it around and around, it just makes this rich, rich soil that like all these flowers and things can grow from. And then like that would be the most amazing thing is if this pile of awfulness could be aired into the light and turned around enough that it would turn into something rich and good and powerful that could actually grow flowers and food and nutrients that it could give to somebody else that would like be the most satisfying thing in my whole entire life well said i guess (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to talk i really appreciate it thanks for having me here i'm I'm always grateful when people are listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. You can find a link to Noel Crombie, Kale Williams, Beth Nakamura, and Dave Killen's investigation in the episode notes. You can check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com slash commuting or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thien. A reminder to subscribe to Beat Check anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear the latest episodes. If you like the show, please leave a rating or review to help us spread the word. Until next time.